0: Now, for your feature presentation.
1: Not just one, or two, or three, or four, but five, or five, What is up, List nerds? I'm your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow list nerd Jason Kleeberg, and this is the Force Five Podcast, a show where I force my guest to come up with a movie-themed top 5 list topic, and then we reveal our picks on air. Sidekicks act as a supporting player to the film's central characters, but it doesn't mean they are less important. Often, the sidekick appears throughout the movie as a confidant to the lead or protagonist, but later plays a pivotal role in the plot. At times, they provide comic relief to more serious dramas and epic adventures, while other times they end up as the emotional core of the entire storyline. They're the ironic truth-tellers, the ones who call out their protagonists for their faults, yet they've always got their back. One thing remains the same when it comes to these supporting characters. They are all scene-stealers, and Mitch Burns from the film Vaulter's And My choices certainly fit the bill. I'm excited for you to hear our top five sidekicks list. But before we get to that, the last show with Ryan Estrada was top five Korean films. And although the response on this one wasn't huge, we still got some great suggestions as to what we missed. Not in the top five. Did they get it right? Excuse my language. Okay. Hell no. (laughs) I can't believe. (laughs) <laughs> who, who made that list who made that that's blasphemous. Don't look at me <laughs> that's blasphemous over on the cinematics facebook page joseph bridges said memories of murder mother and burning were his top three based on his letterboxd list friend of the show bruce perky said a tale of two sisters and little forest and executive producer carlos mota said train to busan if you want your comment read on the show Follow me at Force5Pod on Twitter, at Force5Podcast on Instagram, or over at the Cinematics Facebook page. I always ask the question, and your comment might make the next show. Before we get to Sidekicks, I want to talk about our featured review for this week, which is a 1971 film titled The Last Run. I learned about this film from Quentin Tarantino's podcast, Video Archives, and uh, they were really, really high on this film, so I had to seek it out. Uh, This is a George C. Scott film, 1970. He's coming off his Academy Award win for Patton and was looking for a role where he could feel like Humphrey Bogart and he thought he had found it in Alan Sharp's script called The Last Run. Originally, John Borman was attached to direct this but ended up dropping out because he didn't like the script. Probably a good move for him because his next film turned out to be Deliverance. And so he dropped out. John Huston was then hired to direct coming off of A Walk with Love and Death and The Kremlin Letter, both of which had flopped at the box office and were lukewarm with critics. He didn't really like the script either, so he and his son Tony started rewriting it, which did not sit well with the star. Uh, George C. Scott did not want anybody but Sharp messing with the page. And after constant fights, John Huston left the project as well. And so finally the third director attached was Richard Fleischer. And he had his main three. He had George C. Scott playing Harry, Tony Musante as Paul Rickard, and an actress named Tina Amont playing Claudie. And then George C. Scott's wife Colleen Dewhurst was going to play the whore that Harry occasionally laid with. But the onset turmoil was not over on this picture, as Scott then had Aumont fired because he thought she was a terrible actor. And look, I don't know how she was because I don't think I've seen her in anything. But uh, after she was fired, Bonnie Bedelia turned down the role and it went to an actress named Trish Vanderveer. And fun fact, after this film was wrapped, Scott and Dewhurst divorced and he married Trish Vanderveer. So kind of awkward watching it with that context. Anyway, the film follows a retired driver named Harry After his son died at the age of four, his wife left him, and he moved to Portugal to make a living by investing in a small fishing boat. It's a simple life, but not necessarily a fulfilling one, and after nine years, his phone rings with one more job. Harry is basically at the brink of emotional death. He needs to know if he can still do it, so he takes the job without much hesitation. And it seems easy enough, pick up a con named Paul after a jailbreak, and transport him to another town. The jailbreak goes off without a hitch, Paul jumps in the car, but, of course, there's a detour. Paul wants Harry to head to another town so they can pick up his lady friend, Claudie. What follows is mostly a road trip film in which Harry tries to figure out how to keep his cargo safe while Paul and Claudie try to understand why Harry was selected for the job. It turns out that Harry is very good at his job and good at earning respect. The second half of the film involves some double crosses and some long, elaborate car chases through the Portuguese countryside. I'm a big fan of car chases in 70s films because it feels like they were given a chance to breathe. The chases go for a very long time, and it's not two rides smashing into one another the whole time. There's distance between the cars, so we're allowed to see the process. There are no quick cuts. When the action does happen, it's more effective that way, including simple bumps and knocks in the car, since you know that being a realistic chase, one blown tire is going to be the end of it. Harry's car is a BMW 503, an extremely rare luxury car that now retails for like half a million dollars. Now, I've never thought of George C. Scott as a cool guy, but this car definitely gives him that Steve McQueen cool factor. The car chases, however, take a backseat, for the most part, to the nuclear family dynamic inside the car. And when I say family, I mean it. As a cover, they concoct a story that Paul is Harry's nephew, so he constantly calls him uncle. Annoying Harry and me in record time. The plot starts to fall apart for me the minute they introduce a love triangle into the cab because that felt really unconvincing. Even if it was kind of a sham in the film, it didn't seem like something Harry would really take part in. As for George C. Scott, I actually liked him in this role, going against what critics in 1971 had to say. Several of his lines were delivered with a grizzled panache that I really enjoyed. He was convincing as this cynical codger with little to live for. The weakest part of the cast is Tony Musante as a young maniacal punk who reveres the gangsters of old. He is utterly unconvincing in the role, and some of his line readings really make me curious as to what ended up on the cutting room floor if these were were the takes that were chosen. In a review by Tony Mastroianni in the Cleveland Press from 1971, he says, quote, Musanti, a bargain basement Peter Falk, says his lines as though they were scribbled on a blackboard just out of camera range, end quote, and I could not agree more. Vandeveer isn't given much to do in terms of range, but she definitely was not the weakest piston in the engine here. That is clearly Musanti. Overall, I liked the last run, but I will probably not watch it again. I liked the European scenery, the car chases, George C. Scott's character, but I could not stand Tony Massanti, and the first half of the film lacked pace and excitement. I also thought that the ending was entirely underwhelming and lacked a punch and some comeuppance that it really needed. Now, uh, after you listen to the Video Archives podcast, maybe you'll have a second opinion there because they seem to really like it. If you're interested in seeing The Last Run, it's available in full on YouTube or on Amazon Prime. Oddly, this film was not released in the U.S. on VHS. It was released overseas, but made its U.S. debut with a Warner Archives DVD that is, I believe, out of print and has not yet been upgraded on Blu-ray. So that's The Last Run from 1971. All right, spring is here and the weather is about to get really nice. It's time for sports outside baseball, football, soccer, basketball, you're going to need some gear. So make sure to visit today's sponsor, Big Ben Sporting Goods in Cold River, Texas. Take the field with the best in the field. Stop throwing your money away at smaller, expensive wannabe stores. Stretch your dollar during the world famous and world's biggest spring fever sale. Balls, bats, clubs, guns, all the other shit you need to play, whatever the fuck sport you want. Want to be the next Bubby Brister? Grab a new pigskin and find out. Are you the next Walt Weiss? You'll never know unless you pick up the latest baseball mitt from Rawlings. Help break in the glove by playing catch in the parking lot. It's encouraged at Big Ben Sporting Goods. Ask for the owner, Big Ben Healy, and tell him the Force 5 podcast sent you for a free Junior Healy baseball card with any purchase. Big brands at low prices. That's the Big Ben Sporting Goods Guarantee. All right, let's talk sidekicks with Mitch Burns. Welcome back to the Force 5 podcast. Tonight, my guest is Mitch Burns. He's a podcaster whose newest show, The Film Vaulters, pays tribute to the long-running Film Vault podcast. Mitch, how are you?
0: I'm great, Jason.
1: Thanks for having me. This is a great topic, like a really deep topic with a ton of choices. Like, I look at my honorable mentions list (laughs) for this. How many honorable mentions do you have? Uh,
0: I have almost 10 um but (laughs) that's with deleting the animated ones that i had so yeah um i i have quite a few
1: (laughs) yeah such a deep topic i'm looking at my honorable mentions list and i think four of my honorable mentions were on my top five list at one point yeah it was a real tough one to narrow down so um, i'm excited to talk sidekicks but first I want to talk about your show for a second, because it's yeah. a spinoff of a podcast that's very important to both of us. Mm. So uh, why don't you tell my listeners what the Film Vaulters is all about?
0: Uh, so uh, the Film Vault is a podcast that has been running for 20 years, hosted by Anderson Cowan and Brian Bishop, Bald Brian, uh, who you might they both have been uh, like Loveline and Adam Corolla show. And I've listened for 13 years, 14 years now, I think, or something crazy. And uh, I've, this is the long story, sorry, but I've done a bunch of work for them in the last few years. And I all of a sudden just got this idea and it's been such a big show. I was like, why don't I interview people from the show, surrounding the show, people like who have listened and... And I emailed Anderson, the one host, and he just said, like, fuck, yeah. I, I know, are we allowed to swear on here? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he just, he just said, yeah, go for it. He's like, that sounds great. Uh, and then so a couple months of uh, thinking and, and what I was going to do. And here we are. I'm like four or five episodes in, but I'm loving it. I've interviewed some of my favorite people. Can't wait to have you on. Uh, yeah. So it's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's a really great idea. And cool that this podcast that so many people listen to is so large now and with with such an expansive catalog that it warrants kind of a spinoff show that interviews some of those folks. And you're not just interviewing them, you're actually doing top five lists as well that they have covered on the show and just kind of doing your own top five on those topics, right? Yeah, it
0: gives these people who love the show or have been a part of the show their chance to be Anderson and Brian, right? Um, Me being the other half. And, you know, some of the ones that have been picked so far have been... It's just interesting to hear what they pick because it's not one... I would have picked as I'm sure you have the same thing, like some when you ask like "Oh, like what topics are you thinking, and people throw one at you and you're you think, "Oh, okay, I never would have <laughs> thought of that, but that's great so i'm i'm uh, I'm having fun with it
1: the top five list format has definitely given me unique perspectives on different films and yeah. uh has introduced me to a lot of films as well
0: yeah i'm uh I'm finding that I'm just so worried about going back to the same ones all the time because I just, I just love, you know, my favorite movies, I just love them so much. So I want to include them uh, just like Anderson does on the film vault. He always leaves one some off because he brings them up too much. Yeah. And uh, so now that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to go deeper and find movies that I wouldn't have thought of. And, uh, but also still talking about some of my favorites, <laughs> you know, you got to do it.
1: So you can't just have transformers on every list is what you're saying. Uh, no, you can't. And I, but I definitely <laughs> wouldn't <laughs> not a fan band. Yeah. <laughs> Mitch, real quick on the film vault. Who would you say is the sidekick? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> Anderson or Brian. It's
0: gotta be Brian. It, it, <laughs> like I, I, I love him, but you know, he, He shows up and he and he sits down and Anderson does the rest and a little bit of Avery. Uh, So it's got to be it's got to be Brian. So, I mean, he brings a lot
1: to the program, obviously, but of course, sorry, Brian. (laughs) Uh, Mitch, obviously, you're a big fan of movies. You got multiple movie podcasts. We're going to talk about Hollywood Persona here in a little bit as well. And you're also a staple on the Cinematics Facebook page where we both hang out online. Uh, What are some of your favorite films of all time?
0: Um, So, oh, this is going to make me sound very Philistine-ish. But, (laughs) like, Alien is my clear number one. Awesome. Uh, Children of Men, uh, Into the Wild, Goodfellas, Jurassic Park. um, But, like, I'm a huge horror fan. So uh, anything like Hereditary, The Thing, The Exorcist, all those kind of silence of the lambs obviously so i i it sounds like i'm a philistine but i do love a lot of different different styles of movies uh and everything and i'm an mcu fan and uh i a muppet fan (laughs) you know my
1: (laughs) my love goes deep for for film so and nobody's going to fault you for having those movies on your list. I mean, they're they're known as classics for a reason. It's because everybody yeah. you know loves them. There's something in a lot of those movies for everybody.
0: I think when when people ask you, like when you're someone who loves movies or reviews them and people obviously their first question is like, oh, what's your favorite movie? It's just so it's almost frustrating when you say uh, alien. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they they expect more. <laughs> Well, maybe, yeah, maybe. But it's like these lists, right? Number one could be obvious, but maybe you're number four and five. Those are where you get creative and play yeah. around a little bit. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly.
1: All right, Mitch. Well, let's talk sidekicks. Let's talk sidekicks. Uh, before we get into our picks, though, I think it's important to kind of nail down what a sidekick is. Yeah. So when you think about sidekick, specifically in film, what is your definition?
0: It's It's really interesting because it changed over the last week or so. Like in my head, I kept thinking, okay, well, a sidekick is a best friend or, um, okay, but wait, but like a sidekick would also be somebody who does things for someone, right? Like Mm -hmm. is not a servant per se, but is like that person who is side by side and, and helps them. But my list is full of varying degrees of sidekick. Um, and it's, it's really interesting how it shook out, like some are the best friend or some are a little distant, but needed (laughs) a needed sidekick. So what, what about you? What, how did it shake out?
1: You know, when I think about a movie sidekick it, for me, it's that person who's there to help the protagonist on their journey. And they might not necessarily have a journey of their own. They're kind of specifically there to help the protagonist get from A to B. There were people, especially on my honorable mentions list, that really didn't fit into that. But I had a, a tough time as I was going through my movie wall, just like, because I'll do this when I get a list topic, I'll look through my movie wall and just say, like, okay, is there a great sidekick in that? Yeah. One of the ones that first came to my mind was like Pulp Fiction. And then I started thinking, well, Jules and Vincent aren't really. So there's no sidekick in that relationship because they're both on their own journeys, and they're both kind of helping each other out.
0: That's what I thought too. I was like, when people were recommending that on your your Twitter, I was kind of, I kind of was like, well, who's the sidekick
1: there? And yeah, <laughs> but I get it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you you could, I guess, make a case in certain instances. And then I started thinking, well, what about Lance? Like Lance could be a sidekick to Vincent. He's Mm -hmm. reluctantly helping him out. And then my mind obviously went to Winston Wolfe. And it's like, well, is he really a sidekick if he's just there because he has to be there? Because he's like hired to be there. So there's there's a lot of gray area when it comes to sidekicks for me.
0: Yeah, uh, it's very gray for me too.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's one of those kind of malleable topics where you could make an argument for a lot of different sidekicks, and then I started thinking about like love interests. Uh, how do you feel about love interests? Like, would you consider a love interest a sidekick, or would they still have to have that same kind of helping the protagonist on their journey?
0: Yeah, I I I don't find a love interest to be a sidekick unless. It was something like, you know, Indiana Jones with uh, like Marion, I think it's her name.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then uh, something like Romancing the Stone where there's like an adventure and and the female isn't necessarily just the damsel in distress, but is also helpful. Um, like I could see that, but I definitely left it all off my that kind of relationship off my list.
1: I did as well. And uh, for listeners too, just so you know, we are not including animated sidekicks on this list. This is live action only. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Mitch and I agreed that animated sidekicks is so it's such a deep category that it has to be its own list.
0: Yeah, it's I could have a thirty-page list for animated sidekicks. So, and it was just unfair to have a full and it would just be all animated and then i would knock off so many i love that are live action so splitting yeah. them up was just the better idea
1: all right sidekicks mitch burns you ready to get into this list oh i'm so pumped you
0: know what's gonna happen
1: mm. you know what's
0: happening here right now How do gonna happen no no no, 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 no. no, no, no. you just made the list mm.
1: top five five sidekicks by the way have you ever seen the uh the chuck norris movie sidekicks
0: no uh i (laughs) i i I, but i looked into it today i was like oh okay there had to be a movie called sidekicks have you seen it
1: i have and a quick plug for the patreon listeners if you're not subscribed to the patreon yet the sidekicks vinegar syndrome release was my vinegar syndrome corner pick for last month so i did an in-depth review of sidekicks on the patreon if you want to check that out oh cool. It's a real fun kind of karate kid uh, early 90s knockoff. It's it's good.
0: Oh, that's uh, I'll 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 catch it. I'll watch it at some point.
1: It is good. All right, let's get into this list. I'm going to start us off here with my number 5. This was a late addition to the list. It's one that just popped into my head as I was working today and it's like, "Okay, Sydney Fife from I Love You Man has to be on my list somewhere." Why don't we uh? Why don't we just pick it up and move down the fairway? Because she it's won't sorry. have a chance to practice, right, Peter? I got it. He's kind of got a point. I mean, we're really holding these guys up. You're being an asshole, Haley. Just take your time. Okay? He's really
0: not being an asshole. There's a protocol. The marshals come by, and there there is some time. here I'm done. Pressure. This
1: sucks. Haley, I'm out of here. Please. It. please
0: don't go. Where are you come on, going? Haley. It's okay. Apologies. I mean, we'll. am sorry. Come on, Haley. Please come
1: back. This is a character played by Jason Siegel. and if you are unfamiliar with I Love You, Man, it's about this. Guy named Peter Clavin, played by Paul Rudd. He's a Los Angeles real estate agent, and he's just proposed to his girlfriend, Zoe, and she accepts, but he doesn't have any close male friends to share the news with. Um, he's got like his brother and his dad, but mainly he has female acquaintances, so uh, he overhears his wife's friends like uh, talking about their concern over his lack of guy friends, and he decides that he needs to have a best man for the wedding. And he, you know, he has his, his brother try and hook him up with friends, but that kind of goes wrong. And he's about to give up. And he's at an open house for Lou Ferrigno's mansion. And he's trying to sell the mansion as the real estate agent. And he meets Sydney, who is attending the open house simply to pick up divorced women and take advantage of the free food. And they quickly become friends, bonding over their mutual adoration of Rush, the band. Um, So when I go into these picks, I I really want to focus on like what makes them a good sidekick. Mm -hmm. And I think with Sydney, he's kind of the ultimate best friend. Mm -hmm. He's really caring about Peter. He's always trying to help Peter out, even if he doesn't always do things in the smoothest way. And his communication style is a little wonky. He's a little off here and there, but he always has the best of intentions. And there's a moment in this film where Sydney asks Peter for money, for something he wants to keep as a he, he doesn't want to tell Peter what the money's for. And this is where you as the audience and and frankly Peter as well are thinking, uh oh, Sydney might not be on the up and up. And the the way that he uses that money is really wacky, but mm-hmm. it's all in service of Peter. And it's it's just a really great uh, a really great chemistry between Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. The pet names they have for each other, the uh, just hangout sessions where they're just chilling in uh, in Sydney's garage. It's just a really great relationship, and I just love how Sydney is always looking out for Peter. So yeah, Sydney Fife from "I Love You, Man" from 2009 is my number five.
0: I am so mad at you right now because Uh (laughs) I am well. I'm mad at myself because I love that movie. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Like I'm not even joking, and completely forgot about it. And (laughs) he he could have been my number one. Uh, This that's why I need to like spend a week researching.
1: So really good pick. I mean, you're always going to leave stuff off of these lists. There's just so many. Oh, for sure. All I could
0: think of when you were talking about the open house scene was uh, I, I, that guy over there has to fart. <laughs> and, and and they're like, what? How do you know? And he's like, look at him. That whole scene is just ingrained in my brain. Uh, and I just know such a good movie. Such a great pick. Wow. It's
1: a great comedy. There are so many lines from that movie that I use on a weekly basis Me too totes and goats something I always say <laughs> I'll see you there or I'll see you at another time is another one that I'm like always <laughs> yes. saying
0: yes <laughs> oh I'm so glad you you brought that up and I can't see a box of Kleenex now without thinking of that movie um <laughs> and the lazy boy and the lotion uh yeah no great pick wow so my number five is a amazing character named Falkor from the never-ending story.
1: Hmm. I, I was just going to, I, I have to, I was trying to s- sneak away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, no, no. I like children. For breakfast? <laughs> never. I'm a luck dragon. My name is Falcor. And my name is- Atreyu. Atreyu. And you're on a quest. How'd you know that you were unconscious and you talked in your sleep? (sighs) Why could you get round and scratch behind my right ear? I could never quite reach it.
0: Falkor is a dragon like creature, but furry. Uh, from The NeverEnding Story, and he becomes friends with Atreyu, and he guides Atreyu. He's, to me, he is everything you would want in a partner on an adventure. And as a kid watching these movies, he was like, like he was soft and cuddly and warm, but at the same time, he was wise and smart and funny and lovable, and at times, like, a little menacing. Um, and so he's one of the few sidekicks that can pull off all of that and still be incredible. And uh, I, I, I love him. I I wish he was real and I could just ride on his back and fly through, like, get to work that way. He's And his voice is so great. Uh, I did just have who voiced him but now I can't remember it's uh fudge um but he was constructed by a man named Giuseppe Tortura Tor- Tortura sorry the frame was made of like steel but and then they had his head and only parts of him could be moved it was uh oh, and then the eyes and the ears they used to like the main character or Treyu he would scratch behind his ears and uh, Fellcore all day he's my number five for sure
1: this is a film that I saw when I was younger but I haven't seen for a very long time and I've been waiting to watch it with my son mm. again but yeah. this is one that I know came up a lot on films that scarred you as a child because there are a mm. lot of like really inventive really weird pieces of imagery in here
0: that horse scene uh definitely has played some Nightmare's stuff on me every time I saw a horse for till I was like 12 all I could think of was the horse being sucked down into mud and I couldn't even step into mud without thinking of it for a while but still really good movie I think it's I think it is a good movie to show to a kid at around that how old's your son
1: sorry he's about to be five
0: yeah so like and my kids are six and seven, so I think if I sat down with them now, it would not be too scary. But it also has adult themes that
1: have, would keep their attention. So I'm I'm excited to show them too. All right, that's uh, Falcor from the Never Ending Story from 1984. 84, yeah. So uh, I guess a, a little backstory. A couple of months ago, I was assigned to watch Rocky for the first time and I started going through my journey with the Rocky films. And in the first two Rocky films, he did not have a great sidekick. His best friend and brother-in-law named Paulie is kind of a piece of trash. He's like a real he he's he's got jealousy problems. He's kind of a destructive influence on Rocky's life. His wife, Adrian, doesn't really fit the bill as a sidekick. She doesn't really have much to do in the movies. And mm-hmm. his trainer, Mickey, is possibly the worst boxing trainer I've ever seen He's just like, <laughs> he's not a good trainer. He, no. Uh, if you watch the final fight in number two, uh, it doesn't look like... Rocky went through any boxing training at all. There's no way he should have won. (laughs) Um, So that's like one big problem I had with Rocky 2. Another plug for the Patreon, if you want to see my review or listen to my review of Rocky 2, it's up there. Um, But in number three, his trainer has some heart trouble after an encounter in the locker room with Clubber Lang, played amazingly by Mr. T. He just looks absolutely terrifying in this movie, his first movie. Yeah. During that encounter, Lang proceeds to uh, he, he pushes Mickey, and uh, Mickey starts having heart problems because of it. And then he proceeds to embarrass Rocky in front of the world for his title. I mean, he he basically Rocky makes the exact same mistake Apollo Creed made in one by underestimating his opponent and worrying more about uh, showmanship and stuff. And Clubber Lang gets in there and just beats the piss out of Rocky in like two rounds. And after this, Rocky wants to be done with boxing. He's he's ready to hang him up. I mean, really, after every fight, Rocky seems like he's ready to <laughs> hang it up. Yeah. But after this one especially because he's been embarrassed. But there's one guy that's not going to let him, a man who volunteers to train Rocky the right way, his two-time opponent, Apollo Creed. Now, I didn't see this coming. I, I loosely knew what happened in Rocky 1 and 2, but I didn't know that Apollo Creed was going to come back to start training Rocky in number 3. Mm. And uh, I always thought that Apollo Creed was the most interesting character in one and two. In the first one, he's really theatrical. He wants to put on a show. In the second one, he's very serious. Like he doesn't smile once in the, the whole movie. And then here in three, he's kind of a, he, he's just an amazing friend and he turns into this mentor for Rocky. And the things that make him a really great sidekick here is that he pushes Rocky to get out of his comfort zone the first thing that he does is he takes him out of his Philadelphia gym and he takes him to an all-black gym in Los Angeles to train where he learns a whole different style of boxing and he learns how to move correctly. Creed is a great boxer. He knows what it's going to take to beat Lang and he takes him through an intense training regimen. And if you compare, like, Mickey's training regimen, which is just absolutely ridiculous, like he has Rocky chasing chickens around alleys and stuff, and he clearly never taught Rocky how to put his hands up to block. <laughs> and then you compare it to what Creed's doing with him here. It, it's amazing. And he, he also never gives up on Rocky. Like, even when Rocky is giving up on himself, the frustration that Creed shows in the ring, there's a scene where he's sparring with Rocky. And he's just like, Rocky's not blocking anything. He's not doing anything. And, and Creed just has this moment of frustration where he's, he's just like, you're going to die in this ring if you don't shape up. Damn, man! What the hell are you doing? This guy will knock you
0: on your ass! Come on, Rock. It's not a game. You want to live in the hospital for five weeks this time? You thought I was tough? This jump will kill you. All right. Come on, come on. Get your head on your shoulders, man. Think about the fight. Think about the fight. Clubber Lang's in here. He's trying to hurt you, Rock. He's trying to hurt you. Okay, here he comes. Jab. He's jabbing He's
1: dead. He's to hurt you! you got to fight him. You got to move. <laughs> <Up against him. laughs> He's <up against> <laughs> He's the He's hooking. He's hooking. He's hooking. Damn, Rock, Come on! What's the matter with you? Tomorrow. Let's do it tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Before the fight, of course, it's a Rocky movie, so you have a training montage, but. Uh, It ends with this amazing beach foot race where they're running on the sand and finally Rocky is in good enough shape to beat Apollo Creed. And uh, there's, you know, the freeze frame of the guys jumping around and hugging in the water. It's just so classic. I couldn't see anybody better in Rocky's corner in Rocky 3 than Apollo Creed. And uh, it made him one of my favorite sidekicks of all time.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really great pick, and uh, I never really thought about the how crappy of a uh, trainer Mickey was until you said that. Terrible. And now all I can think of is how everybody makes fun of him. You know, oh, Rocky, get over here in the corner, like uh, yeah, (laughs) get that waste. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come here. (laughs) And when you think about those early movies, Rocky was in the most part, training himself, like (laughs) in a lot of it, like running up the stairs and, and eating the eggs. And, uh, no, that's a good, that's a good pick. Wow. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Mickey was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) He was the worst. (laughs) (laughs) That's better than mine. Uh, My impression. Uh, I've only seen the first three Rocky. So I definitely have to, uh, keep, keep pushing. I have them on. A nice Blu-ray set, so I'm going to, you know, really unveil the story of Apollo Creed and all that. So, um, so my number four is a little man, quite literally, a little man named Hoggle. He is from the 1986 movie The Labyrinth.
1: Excuse me? Oh, uh, excuse me. Oh, it's you.
0: Excuse Uh, me, but I have to get through this labyrinth. Can you help me?
1: (laughs) Oh. Oh, how sweet.
0: (laughs) Fifty-seven. How could you? Yeah. Poor thing. You monster! Ah. You bit me.
1: (laughs) What did you expect? fairies to do.
0: I thought they did nice things, like like granting wishes. Huh? Shows what you know, don't it? Directed by Jim Henson. Sarah is a young girl, and uh, she has to babysit. She hates her parents like any teenage girl does, and she's cursing them because she has to babysit her baby brother. And well... Wouldn't you know it, she says the right words and her baby brother is taken by the Goblin King, uh, Jareth, played by Mr. David Bowie. And uh, so she has to go into this labyrinth to try to find her baby brother uh, and take him back from Jareth. And the first person she meets is this little dwarf. Uh named Hoggle and it's not coincidence that they met but he because he may be playing two sides at the beginning um but he reluctantly uh joins Sarah for her quest and he becomes a great friend and he's he's hilarious in his way that he can't handle compliments uh, she tries to kiss him on the cheek and he just goes like, "Ah, oh, yuck, but then he actually like loved it and like uh, he ends up trying, you know sacrificing him, would almost sacrifice himself for her and uh, the way they just become best friends is is beautiful and the ending is beautiful as well. Um, the words, the quote, "If you need us, I say that all the time. Um and I think it's I think Hoggle is just um maybe the ugliest sidekick I have on my list. Uh, oh, but, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know, he's got the a beautiful soul that you see kind of come out. And uh I saw pictures of him today in the Jim Henson uh museum, I think, and he looks in even more rough shape than he did during the movie because they've, <laughs> they've got like the the puppet. Uh, and he was voiced by Jim
1: Henson's brother, Brian Henson, who uh, is still alive today. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and amazing that you got his name right because nobody in the movie can get his name right. Right. Hogwart. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: Hoggith Yeah. Iggle. <laughs> Eagle yeah <laughs> no i i just i love him so much i could have gone with uh ludo also from that movie but because uh, he's another big sidekick uh but i i just have i think hoggle has that heart and that connection uh with sarah that moves you more and uh that wasn't necessary necessarily a uh like I don't know what I'm trying to say it wasn't necessarily like a caveat that they had to have an emotional connection but it obviously adds to it so
1: all right yeah hoggle from labyrinth from 1986 uh yeah this is one that I didn't even think about and I probably should have because this was another one that came another movie that came up a lot when people were talking about the movies that gave them trauma as as a kid
0: oh my gosh I'm really maybe I'm uh, maybe I just listened to that episode recently and I'm (laughs) my brain subconsciously uh, is putting movies from that on here. But no, I (laughs) the rest of it will probably is a little more, quote unquote, normal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, something that's not normal for me is cheating with my picks and having like two for one. But for my number three here, I am going to cheat. I'm going to cheat just a little bit because I honestly cannot pick between the two of these guys. They are both amazing sidekicks. To Ethan Hunt, I am talking about Luther Stickle and Benji Dunn from the Mission Impossible series. I'm going to ask you a series of control questions. I know, and I'm gonna answer truthfully, and then you're gonna ask me to lie intentionally. State your name. The King of Norway. See, that's a lie. I'm actually third in line to the throne. My brother was... Has Ethan Hunt contacted you? Why would he contact me? Hunt has resurfaced this time in Cuba. He, uh, left these behind. Tell me what you make of them. I don't know. He's taken up scrapbooking. Look at the photographs done. All of them are either missing or dead, everyone. All of them were government agents, Russian, French, British, Israeli, you name it. These are highly classified files, and yet Hunt had no trouble collecting them, and he always seems to be a step ahead of us. I wonder how. Are you suggesting I'm helping him? The thought had crossed my mind. I am a huge Mission Impossible fan, and nothing that Ethan Hunt has done (laughs) over the last, I don't know, really ever in his movies could be done without Luther or Benji. Um, So Luther Stickle is played by Ving Rames, and he was at IMF before Ethan Hunt and he worked as a computer specialist. He's the only character other than Ethan Hunt who has been in every Mission Impossible film. And Benji Dunn is an IMF technician who later finds himself in a field, in a field agent role working with Ethan Hunt. Um, so what makes these guys great sidekicks? Well, first off, there's the trust factor. They both really trust Ethan Hunt. Originally, when they meet Ethan Hunt, really both of them find themselves reluctantly helping him with their lives on the line, because if they're trusting the wrong person, they'd be committing treason against the country. Uh, For Luther, for example, he needs to help hunt breach the CIA headquarters in Langley to hack a computer to get the real knock list in the original mission impossible, which leads to one of the most iconic scenes in the mission impossible series. You know, the whole like rappelling down Mm -hmm. on the cable, Uh, just an amazing scene for benji he needs to remotely guide ethan through the streets of shanghai in mission impossible number three in order to save his wife while not letting anybody at the office know what he's doing because at the time ethan is accused of being an imf mole and (laughs) benji should not be in contact with him but both of these guys have helped ethan break out of prison they have helped avoid nuclear war They have helped save the water supply of India and Pakistan. They have worn disguises. They have had aliases. And they're just amazing partners to Ethan. Benji specifically looks up to Ethan a lot and has said that he's one of the reasons that he became a field agent. And uh, in terms of dependable sidekicks, I mean, it doesn't really get any better than these two. They're going to go in with Ethan whatever he needs and they will put their lives on the line to make sure he and the country are safe. So, yeah, cheated a little bit on this one. But both Luther and Benji from Mission Impossible uh, are my number three.
0: No, oh, that's uh, that's those are great picks. And they didn't even come to my mind. Uh, and Simon Pegg just kills that role. But I think Simon oh, Pegg yeah. is just great at those kind of roles. And Ving Rhames, uh not a good actor I, I i i mean i not bad but he just is that character and i love him so
1: much he's the he's just oh, i love
0: great pick great
1: pick they have an interesting dynamic too as these characters because luther's really kind of calm and he's mm-hmm. the one that's not going to show that he's sweating even if he's like sweating his balls off on some of the things that ethan's making him do Whereas Benji is like, we're all gonna die. Like he's he's just kind of <laughs> yeah. the, the worry war. He he lets people know that he's scared in those situations. It's a really fun dynamic between the three of those guys.
0: You're asking me now? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. he's he's great. Uh that was that's a really good one. I probably would have went with Benji, but obviously oh, Luther's been with him for longer. Because Benji yeah. didn't come in until three mission possible three or four? three yeah three was okay. his first one yeah so uh no great picks uh love them both um so i kind of this is my one where i don't know if if you're going to give it to me or not but i <laughs> uh, i think he does qualify um so samuel loomis played by Donald Pleasence in the Halloween movies.
1: I'm not responsible, Sam. Oh, no. I told him how dangerous you he was. couldn't have two roadblocks and an all-points bulletin wouldn't stop a five-year-old. Well, it was your patient, Doctor. If precautions weren't strong enough, you should have told somebody. I told everybody! Nobody listened. There's nothing else I can do. You can get back in there and get back on that telephone, tell them exactly who walked out of here last night, and tell them exactly where he's going. Probably going. I'm wasting my time. Sam Haddonfield is 150 miles away from here now. Now, for God's sake, he can't drive a car. He was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons.
0: Yeah, he is in the Halloween series. Uh, he appears in one through five, and uh, and then he is played by Malcolm McDowell in the remakes, the Rob Zombie remakes, and then in the newer movies. He, there is, he has some cameos, uh, but it is Donald Pleasance, uh, but they are using technology because Pleasance obviously died in uh, 95. Um, so for me, uh, Donald Pleasance was the reason I loved those movies. Well, Michael and, and uh, sorry, Sam, Sam Lewis, Loomis, and Michael they just their dynamic and uh Sam's his worry and how much he takes on he is so upset uh, this man brings something to this horror franchise that no other franchise seems to have had at that time the Nightmares and the Jasons they just didn't have him and I think that's why I love this franchise the most um, he just his past with Michael Myers has already been established in a way and it makes it makes the movie and his relationship is foreboding and he's smart and protective and he takes the burden on when when Michael starts killing even though it it's not his fault but he feels so. Um like he needs to protect this town of Haddonfield um, and and Lori in the first two movies. And yeah, so I I think he just he becomes a sidekick to several people over the five movies. And um I just love love him and Donald, excuse me Donald Pleasance is just an i don't think anyone else could have pulled this uh this character off except for maybe a Anthony Hopkins or something like that. Yeah. He has given some of the juiciest lines in those early movies uh like I'm sorry sheriff but death has come to your little town and you know some 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 actors might have made that sound cheesy but it's just when he says it it's like butter and uh he just made me love those movies even more and i love Lori strode i think i ended up loving her more as the new movies came out and i kind of like got to know her more um but yeah uh it's a weird pick but sam loomis from the halloween franchise uh technically he is a character in six seven eight nine about nine movies uh so that was a little bit of a cheat there as well but yeah I had to I had to put him on I kept taking him off and putting him back on and I just had to go with it because he's just stuck in my
1: brain well he's he's a really interesting choice he's Mm -hmm. at points he's a sidekick to Michael Myers as his uh as his psychiatrist and then Obviously, he becomes kind of a bounty hunter looking to bring his subject back and he is a sidekick to many other people. And as the films go on, like particularly number five, he's just kind of he's growing more and more unhinged in the way he's trying to help people out. That's a really interesting choice. It's not one that I would have thought of, but you absolutely make a great case for him. I had to represent horror
0: in some way, too, because of my love for horror. And so maybe that's why I pushed him on there. But Uh, definitely for me, when I think of those movies, I just think of him and his love for protecting, you know, it's, he's just a protector. And I just love that. Even though, yes, the unhinged near the end, uh, they once asked, uh, Donald Pleasance, um, so how many more of these Halloween movies will you do? And he's, he said, I'll, I'll stop at 22,
1: <laughs> but
0: uh obviously he never got there, but uh number five was his last and uh they uh it was in his memory uh at the it, after he died after it was shot or while it was shooting, so
1: Dr. Loomis from the Halloween series starting in seventy mm-hmm all right, we each have two picks left. Do you think we'll match up on either of our two last picks?
0: I'm a little worried because. Uh, somebody did tweet one of mine in your tweet you sent out today. Okay. So I'm a little nervous that maybe you saw it. I had already had it on my list. And then this guy tweeted, and I'm like, ah, now I feel like well, it's <laughs> been
1: spoiled, but no, we'll I, we'll I, see. I, I don't think, well, mm. I think we might, I think we might match up on one. I think okay. we might match up on one. We, we'll see. we really could. Okay, uh, on to my number two here. In, I think this person is one of the ultimate sidekicks. My, my one and two are my favorite sidekicks of all time, and they really could be interchangeable. This was number one for a long time on my list. This is an ultimate sidekick and a unique one because the protagonist and this character don't actually meet face-to-face until the last five minutes of the film. I'm talking about Al Powell from Die Hard, from 1980, what is that, 1988? Hey, John. Don McLean, you still with us? Yeah. But all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. Chalk up two more bad guys. Well, the boys down here will be glad to hear that. You know, we got a pool going on, you. What kind of odds am I getting? You don't want to know. Put me down for 20. I'm good for it. <laughs> hey, pal, you got flat feet? What the hell are you talking about, man? Something had to get you off the street.
0: What's the matter? You don't think jockeying papers across a desk is a noble effort for a cop? No. I had an accident.
1: you drive, I can see why. What'd you do? Run over
0: your cab and flew the car. I shot
1: a kid. So if you're unfamiliar with Die Hard, the main character is John McClane. He's attending a Christmas party in the Nakatomi Plaza in downtown L.A. when it is infiltrated by armed terrorists who want to perform a very large-scale robbery. And the only thing keeping them from doing this is John, a uh, New York police officer, but... Even people like John need some help, so he's trying to get somebody from local law enforcement involved, and nobody's taking him seriously, and finally, in a last-ditch effort, John on the walkie-talkie reaches Al Powell, a disgraced desk cop who was on his way to bring his pregnant wife some Twinkies after work, and uh, the two of them start forming a relationship over the walkie-talkie, and... The thing that that makes Al such a great sidekick. Number one, he's really the only person willing to help McLean from the outside, because there are several other officers. There's people from the FBI. There's uh, his deputy chief, who is just a complete piece of garbage, and nobody <laughs> wants to help John McLean. But Al Powell, he's helping John McLean. He kind of becomes the moral center of the film. And while all these explosions are going off and John McClane's out here dodging bullets, Al is always there to try and keep him calm and to point him in the right direction. And uh, he's, he's the one that's encouraging John McClane. Even when John's feeling like there is no escape, he's there to help John out. And unlike a lot of these sidekicks, we learn a lot about Al's backstory how he killed a kid who was holding a toy gun in the dark and he could no longer use his weapon. So that's why he's at a desk instead of on the streets. But when Al needs to use his gun, he saves John's life. And uh, he also shows up briefly in number two. He helps mm-hmm. John identify a terrorist fingerprints via a fax machine because just like in number one, nobody at the Dulles Airport was willing to help John. And even with a limited screen time, he just became one of the most recognizable characters in the Die Hard franchise. It led to Reginald Vell Johnson snagging the role of Carl Winslow on mm-hmm. Family Matters. And, you know, there are a lot of people that went for this role. Wesley Snipes and Gene Hackman were considered for this role. Wow. But I can't picture anybody other than Reginald VelJohnson Johnson being in this role. He's just so iconic to me, and he's just a great sidekick. So number two here could have been my number one, Al Powell from Die Hard. Great pick. I I uh, definitely considered, definitely on also
0: Rands. Uh, I didn't, you know, I I tried to stay away from the obvious, but some of the obvious just have to go on because they're the best. That's <laughs> that's yeah. why they're a lot <laughs> obvious, um, and yeah, he just stole that stole that role, stole the show. I I love him. So number two for me is actually the one that. Somebody posted on the Twitter, and I, I did like their tweet. I wanted to comment and say, save, but uh, <laughs> I didn't want to give it away. Uh, Cliff Booth from the 2018 film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I
1: could, I could be one pool party away f- from starring in a new Polanski movie. So you're feeling better now? Oh, yeah, yes. Sorry about all that. Give me my glasses back. Come get him, fucker.
0: Come. All right, all right, Audie Murphy. Relax, there you go. You gonna need me for anything else? Nah, nah,
1: nah. I got a lot of lines to learn for tomorrow, shit. All right, I'm gonna gonna, I'm gonna get my car to son home. All right. Okay. All right, 7.15 a.m. 7.15. Out the door. Out the door. In the car. All right, see you then.
0: Uh, he is Rick Dalton's uh, right-hand man. Cliff Booth is a stuntman, and Rick he is Rick Dalton's stunt man. Yep. And he is uh, willing to do pretty much everything, anything for Rick. He also serves as his assistant um, and they're, they're both a little older and they sorry, excuse me. <sighs> they're both a little older and Rick is kind of con comp, contemplating his career as an actor and cliff booth just has this subtlety and this swagger and you know it's it's also brad pitt shining through uh that 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 character and uh he's just the best friend anybody would want and i think the one thing that i love about him the most is his is his the love he wears on his face for Rick Dalton. He he is not shy about about how much he cares about him. And it's it's so nice to see like this macho Brad Pitt, you know, you've seen him in other movies killing people, but here he's just well he, he may or may not kill people here but <laughs> he also is just so caring and 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 protects this man like a like a brother uh and i think a lot of it goes to Brad Pitt uh he i think his acting in this is really great he's so game to play this role he's playing the cool guy that isn't really that cool. Uh, he lives in a motorhome and he, you know, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And he's just, but he's happy with that life and he's happy doing whatever Rick needs him to do. So, yeah. Uh, my number two is clearly Cliff Booth. Uh, if you have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it is great. To one of Tarantino maybe one of t- my favorite Tarantino movies top two but yeah definitely check it out do not skip it I know a lot of people have kind of been mad about it and skipped it I, I and I have talked so many people into seeing it and I've never had one person come back and say they disliked it so
1: well, if you're not going to take uh, Mitch's word for it, take mine cuz Cliff Booth is my number 1. <laughs> Cliff Booth. No. Hey, look. <laughs> and and this is a good thing because I mean, he really is one of the best sidekicks in film ever. Yeah. And like you said, he's he's uh Rick Dalton's stunt double, but he's also Rick Dalton's psychiatrist. <laughs> he's his mentor, he's his bodyguard. It's a great relationship. If you look at the character of Cliff Booth, he's, he's a guy that, like, he does owe Rick a lot. Like, his mm-hmm. career was kind of over, and Rick took him in to provide him a paycheck as his kind of uh, just assistant at this time, his driver. Yeah. But Cliff can always be counted on. The car is always in the driveway, And he's always flying with Rick Dalton. Now, when Rick flies, he flies first class and Cliff flies in coach. But you also understand that, like, if Cliff asked to be in first class, he probably would get a first class seat, but he Mm -hmm. is just there. You know, Mm -hmm. he's cool with it, he's cool with being back in coach. He's the ultimate best friend. He also saved Rick's life once. We don't see it on screen, but while working on the TV show Bounty Law, Rick caught on fire while filming and Cliff jumped in and saved his ass. So yeah. he's literally saved him. And um you know there's backstory obviously that I, I mentioned with Al Powell from Die Hard, but there's a lot of backstory here with Cliff Booth as well. We get to see him beat the heck out of Bruce Lee we uh you know there's a mysterious backstory with his wife and if you've read the novel of once upon a time in hollywood there's a lot to that section with cliff booth he may have also murdered other people you'll have to read the the novelization to Mm. figure that out but uh he also unlike a lot of sidekicks cliff booth gets the best scene in this movie in my opinion the whole uh, spawn ranch scene where he yes. goes to check on the owner of spawn ranch is just one of the most suspenseful scenes that ends in a way that i'm sure nobody would expect in a Tarantino mm. movie i fucking love that scene it's amazing yeah um so yeah cliff booth is my number one he like you said brad pitt doing just an amazing job as this sidekick character love it so much
0: i i wouldn't have thought that brad pitt kind of would have had this character in him it's it's a little bit of what he did in Burn After Reading, but also completely different. He's just this, it's like, he's this cool guy, but he's sweet as pie. And he is just so generous for whatever he's given and so happy to be right-hand man.
1: He's just kind of like in control. He's a, That's the way I would describe him. He's a man in control. Like whatever his situation is, doesn't matter he's in control yep and he
0: yeah you're exactly because i always picture i always remember that scene where he's driving and uh one of i think manson's girls gets in his car and (laughs) yeah and it's it's a it's a really weird scene and it's really awkward and there's tension and anybody else driving that car would have been nervous but he just plays it off so cool and i i just love that scene too and it's forever in my brain but yeah
1: oh great hey you know what great pick (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's fitting that it's your two and my one yeah it really is uh
0: so my number one god I, i i probably should have just had cliff at number one but as soon as i thought of sidekicks i thought of this droid mm I've had a dwarf on the list, I've had a flying dragon, uh, I've had a, you know, a uh, detective. I had to go with K2SO from Rogue One, a Star Wars story.
1: Congratulations, you are being rescued. K2SO was in the original story pitch that I did. I actually described him as kind of the anti-C-3PO. C-3PO is a beloved character, but he's always used as a bumbling comic relief. Um, But he's got amazing capabilities. They shut down the main reactor. They'll be destroyed for sure. This is madness. What I wanted to do was take all those things that were implied as cool things that K2 can do that a human being can't do and make that what K2 is about. Let's roll, it. When you're putting together a team of experts with complementary skills, you want people with diverse talents. And so having a droid that can do these amazing things that a human can't do, that adds to the strength of your team. I'm K2SO. I'm a reprogrammed Imperial droid.
0: He is the sidekick to a sidekick, so Rogue One, if you don't know, is the movie that comes in between, uh, well, before A New Hope, and it is the story of a crew who tries to steal the plans for the Death Star, and this character named Jin Erso uh, knows her dad has been taken, and... Starts to work for the resistance. She meets a man named Cassian Andor. Well, Cassian Andor becomes her sidekick, but Cassian Andor already has a sidekick by the name of K2SO. He is a droid voiced by the incredible Alan Tudyk, who is a name that could come up with a lot of sidekicks, uh, animated ones. and uh live action ones so but alan alan tudyk is a genius we don't need to uh argue that uh and this character the way his delivery he's so funny and he his relationship with cassie and andor who is like i get is he i don't want to say owner but they work side by side like when I guess when you're a droid, you're assigned to a person, and and uh, you, uh, it's a little confusing. But anyways, and their back and forth is great. It's like they love each other, but it's like a reluctant uh, love. And then Jin Urso comes into the picture, and K2SO cares so much for Andor that he is like, who is this girl? Can we trust her? Uh, like at one point he says, you're giving her a blaster (laughs) and he's, I don't even get a blaster and, uh, it's just great. There's, and he steals the show, uh, quite literally. I'm really hoping he shows up down the line in Andor, which I am absolutely loving. And, uh, yeah, K2SO, I just could not remove him as my number one, even though, there's R2-D2 and C-3PO and Chewbacca. I could have gone down. I could have been all Star Wars characters, but K-2SO takes the cake.
1: K-2SO. I, yeah, when you said droid, I was expecting R2-D2 or C-3PO for sure. Yeah. This is an, an interesting twist and a movie I haven't seen before. So <gasps> you I'm still haven't like seen Rogue One. No, I've never really been a huge Star Wars fan. So I've just kind of been dragging my feet on the newer films. Uh, I haven't seen a Star Wars film since 1999. Wow,
0: I yeah. I mean, it's ex. I mean, obviously, it's exciting because you you might if you don't. Oh, jeez, I'm stumbling over my words because I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm bl- bleh, flabbergasted that you haven't seen it. But if you uh, don't have a passion for Star Wars, it might just kind of be meh for you. But I think those people who really love Star Wars and and I think film lovers love this movie uh, it's, it's incredibly well written and well made. So, uh, one day you're gonna have to sit down and, and watch it, uh, and let me know what you think.
1: I will. It's actually been a goal of mine to go through the films, uh, in whatever order is recommended because, mm-hmm. um, whenever we go to the Disney parks, the star Wars area is one of the coolest areas in the park. And I'm always like, God, I got to, I got to really just sit down and and watch these films because I want to enjoy those areas more. But I'm sure there's a ton of references that I just don't understand.
0: Yeah. Like, do you watch a lot of TV? I I don't. But uh, the Star Wars shows and like the Mandalorian uh, are my one. I slip into TV, obviously, to watch those. And Mandalorian's great, too.
1: Yeah, I've heard so many great things. I just haven't seen... I really yeah. want to watch Andor because I heard like there's some great heist sequences in that one. Yeah. and I love great heist sequences and Mandalorian. I've heard a ton of stuff about. So I, I will yeah. at some point I will get to them.
0: All right. Perfect.
1: Mitch Burns. Hell of a list. Um, let's recap it real quick for the folks at home. Uh, My number five was Sidney Fife from I Love You, Man. At number four, I had Apollo Creed from Rocky III. At number three, I cheated a bit. I had Luther and Benji from the Mission Impossible series. At number two, I had Al Powell from Die Hard. And at number one, I had Cliff Booth from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh,
0: I, like, I can't run down
1: my five to one because i they were all just off the top of my head. I, I definitely
0: don't have them written down anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally joking. Uh, number five for me is Felcor from The NeverEnding Story. Number four is Hoggle from The Labyrinth. Number three is Samuel Loomis, my odd choice from the first five Halloween movies. Number two is Cliff Booth, which is also... Uh, Mr. Kleberg's number one, and my number one is K2SO from Rogue One, a Star Wars Story.
1: Great list. And I know we have some honorable mentions, some also-rans oh, yeah. that uh, just narrowly made or missed our list. So what are some of those that weren't mentioned that were on your honorable mentions? So
0: the one that kept coming up in every list I looked at and honestly kept coming up in my heart was Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings and I mm-hmm. battled with putting him on because I was never a huge fan. But when you watch those movies as an adult, you realize how great of a character he is. Um, so he was definitely one uh, clear rivers. It was one I was thinking of from final destination is kind of a random, another horror one. Uh, Rocket, oh, yeah. Ra- yeah. That makes ra- ra- sense. Yeah. Um, Rocket raccoon and Groot from the, uh, guardians of the galaxy movies and, uh, Sam, the dog from, I am legend, uh, Jones, the cat from alien and, uh, Fozzie bear from the Muppet movie. (laughs) Nice. Almost came up. And then one more horror one and it's recent and it would have been my double pick because, uh, Mindy is the daughter of Randy in the Scream movies, uh, or the uncle of Randy, sorry. And Mindy is the new character in Scream 5 and 6. And she is just, uh, she's a riot to watch. And she's really great. And she's a great sidekick. So if you haven't seen 5 and 6 yet, uh, watch out for Mindy. She is, she's terrific. So
1: yeah. Out of all these honorable mentions, we only matched up on. One and that was kind of one because on my top of my honorable mentions was Randy from Scream. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a great, uh, a great uncle niece kind of relationship there. Yeah, I, I
0: have you seen the newest one?
1: Not the newest one, not yet. I'm hoping to see it maybe this weekend because I'm going to be yeah. kidless for this weekend. <gasps> so, we'll see. Yeah. Um, I also had on my honorable mentions list, uh, Mouse from Devil in a Blue Dress, played by Don Cheadle. And a Mm. great role there. I I had you haven't seen that one? No, no. Oh, it's a great Denzel Washington movie uh, from 1995 based on it's like a film noir set in 1940s Los Angeles. It's a really good movie. And Mouse is a great character. I will check that out. I also had Hit Girl from Kick-Ass on my list. Brody from Mallrats was uh, (laughs) really he was on my list for a long time because I love that character played by Jason Lee. He's trying to get uh, Jason London's character over being dumped, so he takes him to the mall. Uh, Of course, Goose from Top Gun is one that was very close to my list. Sala from Indiana Jones, the first Indiana Jones film, was Mm -hmm. on my list for a bit. And then I have two kind of off-the-wall picks. People often forget that Clarence Boddicker from Robocop is actually a villainous sidekick because he's working for the uh, OCP Corp. Uh, head, mm. Dick, I think his name's Dick Jones, but he's like the he's doing the dirty work for him.
0: That's like a whole other list. Is like villain sidekicks
1: too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Um. He was he was like one that I was gonna try and work in, and then there's one that I almost chose, but I I thought I was gonna have to like. Do too much too much research and rewatch the film to really justify it, but one could say that Napoleon Dynamite is the sidekick in his own movie because everything he's doing is to help his best friend Pedro become uh, class president.
0: Oh, you know that that would be really oh esoteric. Uh, the word I'm thinking <laughs> of, I don't know, but that would be really interesting. That that's uh that would be it would have been a good pick. I. I would have questioned you until you explained, you'd have to, you would have to win me over on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, originally like Pedro was on my list as a great sidekick, but then the more I started thinking about it, it was like, well, if I'm paying attention to the sidekick rules, then wouldn't Napoleon Dynamite really kind of be the sidekick? Much like Mm. uh, Jack Burton in um, Big Trouble in Little China is kind of the sidekick in his own movie as well. That's
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: So just things to think about. (laughs) Things to think about. I love that. Yes. Great sidekicks. Tons of sidekicks to explore here. Mitch Burns, we got to talk some plugs before we get you out of here. So obviously the Film Vaulters is what Mm -hmm. people should be listening to after this show is over. But you also (laughs) have another podcast called Hollywood Persona. Let's talk about that for a minute. Tell us about that one.
0: Yeah. uh, So I have two podcasts, the Film Vaulters and the Hollywood Persona. Um, The Hollywood Persona is based around my uh, blog that I've had since 2005. Um, And I've just called my site that I don't know where I came up with the name, but, uh, you know, the Hollywood Persona. And um, so I've restarted the podcast. I, uh, we're 12 episodes in. Um, I've had some great guests. And uh, I'm we just talk movies. And uh, we share the movie news. And uh, what's coming to streaming and theaters. It's uh, it's a fun little show. And uh, there's just the two of us right now. Me and a gentleman named Ant. And uh, having lots of fun. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at the Hollywood persona and like my link tree is there so you know just click that link uh, and yeah so the film vultures on Instagram and Facebook and then uh, Mitchie Daly on Twitter and Letterboxd so um, I am all over the place I have so much going on <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I love it. So it's it's my passion. What can I say?
1: What can you say? Well, all the links to everything will be in the show notes. So I'll, I'll just probably link that link tree to, to get you to anywhere you want to yeah. listen to Mitch's stuff or read Mitch's stuff.
0: It'll take you down a rabbit hole.
1: Sorry. <laughs> yep. And if you want to interact with me or Mitch, we're pretty active on the Cinematics Facebook page. So if you want to, you know, chop it up with us. About your favorite sidekicks, that's a good place to find both of us.
0: Yeah, I am very active in there. Just posted something a little while ago. And uh, I hope I've been a good sidekick to you today, Jason.
1: I think you have been. We've got okay, uh, a lot of great movies for people to watch. And you came up with a lot of choices that I never would have thought of. And that's one of the beauties of top five lists is that you never know what somebody's top fives are going to be.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Links to everything Mitch Burns are in the show notes. Go there, check out his shows. I make it easy for you to support. Speaking of support, executive producers on this episode include Peta Beta from the Middle Class Film Class podcast, Musa Mahmood, Rupert Bumblestein, Ryan Golan of the New World Pictures podcast, and Carlos Mota. Thank you all for your support. If you want to be a producer on the show, head to patreon.com backslash force five. And if you can't spare a couple bucks a month to become a producer or get some of those bonus shows, that's okay. You can still support pause the show right now. Well, pause the show after I tell you this and uh, just open up your podcast app. Give me a review, whether that's on uh, where you listen to podcasts these days, Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts. I don't care wherever you're listening to a podcast podcast. Uh, that does a lot for me. And tell your friends. You could be listeners too. Hey, just send them a text. Hey, what would your top five sidekicks be? Listen to this cool ass podcast with this awesome Barry White sexy voice podcaster named Jason Kleberg. I don't know. Tell your friends. Those two things really help the show audience grow. Theme songs today come courtesy of Nate Spears, and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music by Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane and go watch some films with some amazing sidekicks.